0: We just think play is is a way to occupy time in between all the other stuff but really when we we sit and really have no agenda beyond just looking at our child and and seeing what what's going on here we learn so much.
1: Welcome to another episode of Securely Attached. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Jenny Monis, creator of the popular blog Mo Mommies, a co-founder of Union Square Play, and a mom to two adorable little girls. Jenny and I actually go back a few years now, and our paths have continued to get more intertwined with each other, which I'm so thrilled about. Jenny is a play guru. She has a tremendous amount of experience in early childhood education and parenting. She received her master's degree from Teachers College Columbia and has spent the past 12 years working in early childhood. She served as an educational director of several early childhood centers, and she now teaches classes, speaks at events, and has an overall mission to support, connect, and empower moms. Her messages are so amazing. In today's episode, Jenny and I will be diving into the wonders of play and unpacking why it is so important for children's development. Play really is so much more than simply a way for kids to pass the time. It offers a window into who they are, how they make sense of their world, what they're struggling with, and it also provides a great opportunity for us as parents to help foster secure attachment. We'll also today be talking about the psychology and the brain chemistry of what is happening to your children when they engage in open-ended play and the best ways that we as parents can facilitate that process. So enjoy our conversation about play and let's get started. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. I've built a career dedicated to helping families find deep connections, build healthy relationships, repair attachment wounds, and raise kids who are healthy, secure, resilient, and kind. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights to help you understand the building blocks of children's social, emotional, and cognitive development, so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. I am here with Jenny Monas. She is an early childhood educator, a parenting specialist. She is the creator of Mommies, which is an amazing play resource uh, for children and parents. And she co-founded Union Square Play which was in New York City. And now it's just virtual and everywhere and everyone's getting so much benefit from it. So we're so happy that you're here. Do you want to share a little bit with us about sort of your journey into this, this career and this, this world that you're building? Yes. First of all, I'm so happy to be here.
0: And as people will hear, we just always have the best conversations. So it's, it's really a pleasure. Um, so As you said, I I created a resource for play for parents of children in their earliest years, which originally meant zero to two. But as my children are growing, I hope continues on until forever because I don't think anyone is too old for play. And as we'll discuss on this, there's so much value beyond just surface signs of of what play can, can offer children and parents. And I guess I would say that my journey to creating Mo Mommies, um and co-founding Union Square Play happened quite organically. I was, you know, studying psychology and didn't know where I wanted to take it, and knew that I loved children, and I felt like they offered sort of this glimpse into the purest form of 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 people and interaction. And so I applied to teach after getting my master's degree in the daycare setting. And while boyfriends at the time felt like I was spending my time changing diapers, I knew I was doing so much more than that. I was working in a school with children who didn't speak English, who um, were Mandarin speaking children and families. So it was very hard to communicate with them or their parents, but I was able to connect with both them and their parents in so many other ways, through sharing photos and documentation and observations I was making about their child and through play. And so, long story short, I became very passionate about play. I trained in in some different approaches, and I became a mom, and then I co-founded a physical space called Union Square Play. So I'd say with both Mo mommies and Union Square Play, and soon to be our online platform P plus you get glimpses of of all of that journey plus more
1: and it's funny because that's our paths have crossed a few different times in this iteration of you like evolving into this play guru like i i actually you gave me my tour when i was pregnant with my first child at uh, yes. daycare that you were running like directing and and yes. then we reconnected like a couple years later through Rye Foundation's training. So it's, it's interesting how these paths just kind of merge together so For many different sure. ways.
0: Yeah. And right. You know, I, I sped through that, that journey, but was an education director and Rye has inspired both of us very much. And, and it's so meaningful that we met both you and the mom element just as a mom trying to figure it out, taking this tour. And then as a, a learner, right. Um, With the Rye Educaring training. And now as yeah. a professional with, with how we work together.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's really cool how our, our paths have like, they keep linking up as we both kind of emerge on like kind of move through our own journey into getting deeper and deeper into this world of parenting support and, child-led learning. So that's really cool. Yes. I'm so glad that you're here. Um,
0: Me too.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I really, this is why I really wanted to reach out to you to be on this podcast was because I'm incredibly passionate about play. I think it's the bedrock for so many important psychological aspects of child development um, from self identity to relationships to emotion regulation to learning and like I was hoping I wanted to get your take on like what is this magical thing that's play why is play so magical why is it so important
0: yeah I think what I would say just candidly speaking without getting too far into it with just this one question because I know we'll talk about it more it's just a window of opportunity so offers a glimpse into our child's mental thinking and cognitive development and emotional development from day one, right? A baby that we put down on their back, who's just hours, not hours, I guess <laughs> days, because you have to get home from the hospital, um, Who's mm-hmm. who's just maybe moving their limbs, you're able to understand that that's all that they need, right? If they're content doing that, you know, okay, my baby's content. They're, they're, they're feeling and, and exploring through just moving outside of the womb. And then as they get older, you start to see what they look to. And then older than that, what do they reach for? And then beyond that, what do they, where do they, what makes them roll for the first time? What makes them kick up their legs to gain momentum to roll? What is that object or that person or that sound that like does the trick, right? Um, And of course it's more nuanced and takes more sort of mini steps to get there, but these are all glimpses into where they are at, at any given stage. And I think often we we just think play is is a way to occupy time in between all the other stuff. But really, when we we sit and really have no agenda beyond just looking at our child and, and seeing what what's going on here, we learn so much. And I think that that goes for, for life, right? Like, what do I spend my time doing in between all the other stuff? What do I do to play in quotes, says a lot about me. So I guess that's the magic of play, that it's, it's so much more than kicking a ball or throwing things or a hobby. It's really who you are.
1: Yeah. I, and I think just your description even of how play emerges from birth, I think a lot of parents may not know that that's play, right? Your child right. looking at the wall might just to a parent read as my child's looking at the wall. Right. Whereas I think you and I both sort of appreciate the fact that when a child's looking at the wall, that's play. And I know that might sound funny to some people, but looking at the way the shadows move on a wall is, is, is incredibly intriguing for a child who's never seen that before or who's trying to figure out how is that happening. And like that is what play is at the end of the day. It's trying to figure out how stuff works how we work, how people work, when I bang this, what kind of noise does it make, when I, when I roll this, where does it go? Like these early experimentations with play, it might not read as play to someone who's sort of new to this way of thinking, but it's all really rich for a child.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even beyond that, it tells you about them beyond play right so if you realize oh my baby's not really letting me put them down in this new setting or this new room that that indicates that maybe they're not feeling as secure in that setting play really requires a baby to feel entirely secure it requires us to also it requires just humans to feel really like their needs are met they're secure you know and so I think it also gives you a glimpse into more than just where they're at with play. And it also is a way of connecting. So, you know, if you're meeting your baby where they are in terms of what's interesting to them rather than, oh, notice this, look at this, you're starting to to create a relationship that's led by your child in that way, rather than this is my agenda for what you should be doing. So I think it helps to slow you down to build that relationship rather than this is what I'm supposed to do with my child because there's no supposed to do. It's really seeing what your child does and connecting with them through that. Um, so yeah, if they enjoy being on their back, laying down on your back next to them. If they have a hard time with laying on their back, you can still lay down next to them. Maybe that will help them to, to gain more comfort around that position. So it's, it's just such a connector as well for relationships.
1: Yeah, I love that. And like what what do you say to parents who think play is introduced by me, right? I teach my child how to play. I have to show them how this toy works or I have to show them how to do things or where to look.
0: So I think there's a lot of missed opportunity there and this isn't to, you know, create guilt around anything, but when we're introducing an environment, an object, a person, when we allow space and time for our child to react on their own, we're getting to know who they are rather than showing them how they should react to these things, which isn't giving us a glimpse into who they are, but really saying, I'm saying this is okay. So, so you should, I mean, we're their barometer. So if, if we walk into, you know, if they're laying down on their back and we're introducing a toy that they don't seem to notice, and we wave it in front of them, we may have missed that they actually did notice the, the noise of the microwave, and um, that they're interested in that, or we did noti- they did notice that there's another object that, that they're interested in. So I, I guess i um, rambling that I think there's missed opportunity in, in placing what we think they should be playing with rather than the other way around.
1: So how do we, as parents, then set up environments that are rich and conducive for child's play, that they're still able to to lead the play um, and be kind of the the lead actor in it? I would say,
0: first and foremost, an area that is safe. So I I always say that it shouldn't be sort of in line of Depending on where they are, if they're more mobile, it shouldn't be in an area where there's a lot of areas in which they can hurt themselves so that they can feel free to explore rather than every time I go to explore, I'm being told that it's not safe or someone is there to prevent me from from exploring. And that's hard, right? Some people like myself live in new york city primarily and we don't have so much space so i sort of and this might be my own rule that i've made up feel like it should be a foot beyond how far they can explore so if that means taking over their whole room or taking over your living room i i feel like that's the safest way it's not always possible but that's the most optimal and i think seeing where they're at in terms of how much is too much so that differs for everyone if, if putting a lot of objects in a room has you feeling as though your child's going from thing to thing and not really engaging. Take a step back and see what is my child interested in and how can I sort of pare down um, what's available to them and make it more richer so that they can engage. And and of course, this ebbs and flows. There's times where children are are, are just becoming mobile, and so it seems like they're going from thing to thing. Or I get a lot of times that when they're tra- when a parent sets up a play experience or a, a play environment intentionally with things in little baskets, that it just gets dumped everywhere. And I said that's a sign of a lot of engagement. That's great, as opposed to nothing's touched. Um, and especially depending on age, they're not going to tinker within the basket if they're if they're like a newly mobile. Um, baby. Dumping and, and a mess sort of is an indicator that it was a rich experience. So I would say, again, you kind of have to assess based on your child, how much is too much for them? When do they sort of feel overstimulated? And then what is their mobility level? And so it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And that's really what I do with guiding parents in in mom's groups and on our platform is how can we help support a parent to create play opportunities for their child in the most optimal way. Cause I, I think it differs for everyone, but those are like the general sort of things to consider.
1: That's super helpful. Cause I think it, one, it sort of lays the framework, um, creating a space that's not overwhelming, that it's contained, but that it's, it's large enough and accessible enough that they can really kind of make a mess and get into things and practice some of these developmental tasks, right? Dumping, resorting, and like banging and making noises when they're really little. And then as they get older, that play gets more refined. But these are, it's like, you know, you have to evolve into this more complex play. In the beginning, it really is just what we may perceive as mess making and disorganized. But in reality, I think for very young children, that is the exploration, right? What happens when I dump all of these things out onto the floor? Absolutely, um,
0: yeah. And you and I have, I, I'm sure, talked about this, but just relating to schemas and early behavior, that sometimes behavior looks like it's not optimal, but it is actually very um, expected and and productive towards development and when we talk about schemas these are urges that young children have that help lead to learning you know all of its learning but that help lead to to more making more and more conclusions about the world so whether it be an urge what happens when i throw i want to throw everything we think like oh my god there might be a behavioral issue but really what they're learning is what's heavy what's light what breaks what doesn't what makes a noise when it's thrown what doesn't make a noise what is okay to throw, what will my parent not allow me to throw, and what's heavy, and I think I said that, and what's light, but what also can cause damage to other things, and of Mm -hmm. course their thinking is a little less sophisticated than than that, but just to show how a behavior like that seems like it's not valuable, like throwing everything around a playroom, but actually has a lot of value, and we just need to make sure that they're doing it in safe um, ways, So that's where our job is in terms of of modifying what's not safe, but allowing space for for them to to explore in that way.
1: That's funny because that makes me think about something that comes up a lot when I'm working with parents, which is they will see a behavior like that, like they're throwing all their toys and the parent will want to rush in and stop that behavior. And then all of a sudden you start to see these themes of the child really wanting to throw everything. And it becomes almost like a provocative dance that the child and the parent now play. And it's not no longer about the original. I'm experimenting with what sound this makes when it falls to the floor. And now I'm trying to see, ooh, mom, mom got kind of shaken by that. And now I actually am no longer playing at all. And I'm really testing for safety and I'm actually seeing, well, what will mom do if I do this? And what will mom do if I do that? And now our child's actually out of the play, which you alluded to earlier when you talk about how play is about safety and you have to feel really safe and secure in order to get lost in your play or even enter into play. And as soon as we kind of interrupt their play with an intense affect, we interrupt the play and we, we move them out of it. And then there can be sort of like dynamic stuff going on between the parent and the child about like, wait, who's who's feeling what right now? And, and can I get comfortable again? Or do I have to stay in like high alert?
0: Yeah, completely. And I think I have two daughters. So I think there's even what is my sister's reaction? What is my other caregiver's reaction? My younger daughter is in this throwing phase of food. And a lot of that is because when she does it, her older sister laughs hysterically. So while I may be setting a limit and saying, I won't let you throw, she's getting this amazingly Um, positive reaction from her sister. And so she that's probably confusing. Mommy saying, I can't do it, but sister is really happy about it. And so that's when you get into sort of, I have to expect this is sort of going to be a challenge right now, right? I have to talk to my older (laughs) daughter and say, you know, if Nellie learns that throwing makes you laugh, she might not know that throwing her water bottle on the table can actually be unsafe because you're laughing when she throws her food. And of course it's easier said than done. My three and a half year old will probably be like, okay, mom. But just, I already know that that's an area of my younger daughter's play that she's going to be testing boundaries. There's confusion around it. um, But I also think it's a way she's testing boundaries. So when we talked about play offering Mm -hmm. sort of this, this value beyond just play for play's sake, I think, and we can get into a little bit more, but I think it's also, what is okay to do in my play? What is safe to do in my play? what, And we learn what is frustrating for my child in their play? What are their urges right now in their play? How much tolerance do they have around things? And like we said before, where they are developmentally, like if they're struggling to open a play bottle, we know, we should either maybe put that away or maybe they're close enough where we can loosen the top. So yeah, all of those things I just said are, are representative of how much there is to offer when it comes to play in terms of just like the relationship and dynamics and and learning.
1: Yeah, I mean, play is so rich. It's not just, <laughs> it's it's never just the thing, right? That's the whole right. point. Play is representative. It's representational. It's symbolic. So if I'm playing with, you know, I'm playing with the throwing my food on the floor to see what kind of response my sister's going to have. It's not about throwing the food on the floor. It's about understanding my sister, right? It's about understanding the effect that my actions and 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 movements and, and have on another human being. And when I notice patterns, I start to put those things together. So there's a ton of social, social emotional learning that happens through play too and making sense of the relationship. But I also loved when you were talking about unscrewing the bottle cap and it made me think of this idea of scaffolding. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how we as parents can facilitate play without taking over, but also without making it so difficult that it's frustrating and the play stops as well.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because I wanted to make sure we did. But I think that example with the top on the bottle is that play also has so much opportunity for us as the parent with our own distress tolerance. How much can I handle when I see that my child can't do something? And what is what am I projecting onto the experience? Are they really frustrated right now or am I just frustrated watching this? And then that can lead and help us for for later in life when maybe they can't hit the ball in T-ball. Are they okay with that? And I'm the one frustrated who wants to just like go up to the coach and, and do it for them or or you know, micromanage a little bit. So I think play from day one offers us this sort of like exercise in this frustration tolerance muscle as being the person that has to support, but also sit on their hands in order to support, right? So if we took the bottle top off from day one, what does that lead to later? We're not going to be able to keep taking off the hypothetical or, or symbolic bottle top for them, but what we can do is, is scaffold. So what that would look like later with the baseball is, is practice, practice at home, you know, start with, with maybe, easier balls and bats. And then for, for younger kids, loosening the top a little bit, maybe at other times when they're not in those moments, modeling how we do it. Oh, it's it's like so hard to turn this. Um, and maybe just, yeah, taking small, minimal amount of intervention to, you know, support them, but not do for them. If we're talking about like a puzzle you know, maybe saying, oh, I wonder what happens if you turn it this way, singing a song about turning the, the puzzle piece. So scaffolding is basically taking smaller steps to intervene and support without doing it for them.
1: Yeah. And also, in addition to that scaffolding piece, what you're describing, too, that I love is the narrating the emotional experience so that they can sit in the discomfort. In, you, oh, It's frustrating when you can't turn that top. And kind of just zip it after that and not say anything else and see what they do with that acknowledgement without the solution. Um, because that's really exercising that muscle of sitting in distress because they they are probably frustrated that they can't get the top off. And us acknowledging that that's frustrating can help them sit longer in that frustration um, because there's company, right? They're not alone in the frustration, but we're not taking the frustration away by just taking the bottle top off for them or putting the puzzle piece in for them. We're, we're showing them that it's safe to feel this uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it helps us to really recognize what is my frustration and what is theirs. So yeah, if, if, if my child was silently trying to take the top off, I wouldn't say anything at all. If they're looking to me, whining, sort of you know, getting to a level of obvious frustration than we would. So I think it also helps to sort of delineate what is hard for me to watch and what is actually hard for my child to experience. And understanding that when we don't recognize that sort of separation, we can kind of create more intolerance, right? Mommy's frustrated by this and diving right in. So I must not, you know, need to, to try so hard or, work so hard at this and when I have to, I I, I can't handle that either because I've never had to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you're talking about the role of the parent in in scaffolding and then also sitting on our hands or tolerating our own frustration. And I also think like our role as parents in play or parents who support our child's play, there's in addition to it being for our child, there's a lot of it for us that is beneficial, you know? in addition to obviously learning how to tolerate frustration and slow down and observe, you know, I I think being able to kind of foster independent play in our children allows us to get a bit of a break too in parenting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I both know the value of that when it comes to what we've learned in Rye Parenting, but that Allowing our child to engage in independent play is sort of giving parents some breathing room to really separate from their child, learn about their child, and also signaling to their child that you're still safe. You know, if if we're allowing opportunity for that from the beginning, our child knows that this is just time for them to explore however they want. But if we're kind of scheduling time where we feel like we have to educate through their play and kind of quiz them and what look at this, I'm waving this, it becomes a different experience. And without us, it's sort of hard for them to navigate that. I'm, I'm not used to just playing on my own here. When I play, it's usually you telling me what to do or guiding it. And so it's sort of twofold, giving a child the confidence to explore on their own and learn on their own and and feel good about that and giving us some space to, yeah, maybe it's, I need to go make your bottle. Um, The other thing is that it leads into the aspect of time in our day with our child where from the Rye Educaring approach, we've learned wants something time and wants nothing time, and that it's really important to include both in their day. And I would say that independent play is when we want nothing from them. You know, whatever they do as long as it's safe is 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 great. And the purpose of that and wants something time is during caregiving. You know, I need you to participate so I or I need you to cooperate so that I can change your diaper and, and we have sort of expectations of them. But play shouldn't involve want something time we shouldn't want anything from them then besides of course staying safe making sure everyone around us is safe but really it's an opportunity for for them to learn um, you know motivated in a way that's internal to them and not according to our agenda
1: which brings up a really important point of intrinsic motivation and how play when a child is really given permission to play through their own faculties, like to follow their interests, to pursue answering the questions that they're trying to answer. And it's not us saying, you know, oh, what color is this? Or what sound does this make? Um, but really just kind of sitting back and, and letting them do it. The pleasure that they get from discovering something, like oh, when, I, when I put these two things together, they, they click together. Or they, you know, these two things are the same color um, and they match, or whatever. Getting the top off the bottle, there's this flood of self satisfaction and joy, and that is incredibly intrinsically motivating. It it sort of creates a neural circuit of of quick hit of dopamine that says, "Do that again. That feels good." And we don't really want to get in the way of that happening because that is setting the like that's setting the foundation for a joy of learning that's lifelong. That's kind of internally sourced.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's what I was saying, or what we were both saying with, with scaffolding that it's one thing to do for them. And it's another to help support them to accomplish something on their own and to not sort of like steal away what that feels like, like you said, neurologically, you know, there's so much value there. Um, and so even as they get older and they're frustrated to, to even say, you know, that feeling that you had when you climbed up the the steps to that slide all on your own, I don't wanna take away that feeling. And so I know you're so frustrated right now, so I'm gonna help you a little bit. You can talk about it, more, you know, authentically with your child as they get older, you know, because a lot of people ask, like, is it too late? And that's more when I say to use this language, it's never too late. And you can explain to your child that you're not just pulling back suddenly, but you're intentionally telling them why you're pulling back. I don't want to take that away from you um, by mm-hmm. doing it for you. And if you're like, the you like me who, who knew about kind of this intentionality from the start, because of my years of teaching, then you can see from day one, how your child doesn't do for you when they're when they're playing or, or working towards something and they actually get quite frustrated <laughs> sometimes to to my frustration when they don't allow me to help them um but yeah and then there's all the the, the in-between that I experience too the times when like my child doesn't want to keep trying but I just mean the overall um and the the added component of that it's not ever too late and you can actually talk about this openly with your child um, if, if they're kind of looking to you sooner than you think they need to.
1: Yeah, I love that you can, this idea that you can maintain the connection and the I'm connected, I'm here with you part and then without still necessarily fixing it or solving it or helping them complete it. Um, but you're not like, you're not, you know, in a different room, like I don't care. Right. Oh, you're you're, you're yeah. helping them by staying with them. Yeah. Um, so the connection remains, but the solution doesn't necessarily come from you. Absolutely, yes. And and again, we can have a whole other podcast
0: about that. Just how <laughs> yeah. much we matter by just being there, by maybe offering a smile, moving closer, so many different ways to support, like you said, and it's absolutely not, I'm just going to walk out of the room, figure this out yourself. Um, That a huge part of it is making sure our child feels supported, even just by our presence in those Mm -hmm. earliest years, and that they're in an environment where they feel secure. That's key. None of this is possible without that.
1: Yeah. It's and I clear think that's we can really talk for
0: hours about this, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. That's like and that's the whole point of this podcast really is to talk about these different ways we can support the secure attachment with our children and how it's it's we don't have to solve it, but we can sit there with them and it's the sitting there with them that actually creates the safety and that's where the secure attachment comes from. So maybe yeah. you can come back and we can do a podcast on that.
0: <laughs> I would love to. I, I think, yeah, it's clear that we can say so much about this, um, but mm-hmm. I just thank you so much for giving me this platform to be able to share the magic of play and how much more it is than just playing for play's sake. Um, and so grateful that you're a presence on our bigger platform platform, where we talk about play and all things parenting with Union Square Play. So thank you. Yeah, Sarah. I
1: love it. Um, how can people like connect with you if they want to hear more about the work that you do? Yes, absolutely. So
0: my Instagram handle is at Mo Mommies. My last name is Moness. So I'm Jenny Mo for short, hence Mo Mommies. And Union Square Play is at Union Square Play, where you can get linked to download the parenting platform and amazing community, as Sarah can attest, um, called P Plus, where you get access to people like her, like me, and moms like us, and everything in between, (laughs) and Play Ideas.
1: Yes. I love your play ideas on there. Um, Yeah. It's a great community. I highly recommend it. I get a lot out of it as a parent. And then I'm also often on there uh, sort of professionally talking about parenting stuff. So Jenny, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll be seeing more of you hopefully on this podcast, but take care and have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Clearly play is a topic I'm very passionate about. It's such an important part of development for our children and it provides parents with a fantastic opportunity to connect on their level. So I'm curious, I wanna know what your experience with play is in your own family. How have you helped support your child's play? Have you found it difficult to sit back and let your child play independently? Or are you the mom in the corner sipping your coffee and letting them figure things out on their own? What is one thing you've learned by letting your children follow their own intrinsic motivations when it comes to play? Head over to our Instagram page, Securely Attached Podcast, and comment on this episode's post or shoot me a DM. So that's it. Please subscribe, like, and rate the podcast. And until next week, don't be a stranger.